you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go. The operator makes it official, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. You know, we we changed the format of COVID or the co- format of the podcast over COVID because we wanted to improve the world. We were talking about a lot of tech and CEOs and all this sort of good stuff. And we're like, you know what? We want to open the scope of the show to talk about everything, to make the world a better place, to give people inspiration, to give people positivity, to give people tools that they can use to lead them out of the darkness of what goes on in our world and the challenges. And I can't think of a more challenging time uh, that we're currently going through right now, what we're seeing in our world and our news and everything else but the beautiful part about the chris voss show podcast if i can do a little self-indulgent pitch here that helps others is it gives you a respite from the world it gives you respite from the dark news and it gives you tools we give you advice the authors that we have on the people that we have on the chris voss show uh have all the different aspects that they bring to you from all walks of life to help improve your life make it better improve the quality of the life around you and hopefully all give us, uh, you know, different things that we can utilize to make the world a better place uh, and to hopefully leave the world a better place behind us. So I hope that you recognize that, uh, those of you who tune into the Chris Foss Show and some of the new people that are always tuning in, especially coming in from the LinkedIn newsletter, uh, we hope that you recognize that because that's what the show's for. We are a respite and a bulwark against the evil and the darkness that's in the world, and uh, hopefully we're a positive light and inspiration to you. And if not, Send me an email and tell us how we can do better. Uh, we have an amazing uh, guest on the show. She's an author, as always. We have these amazing minds for 15 years. We brought you the CEO, the billionaires, the astronauts, the Pulitzer Prize winners, all of the smartest people on the planet, and none of them are me. That's why we have them as guests on the show, because we, you know, they're the people who bring the show up. <laughs> She's the author of the latest book that came out August 7th, 2023. On second thought. Maybe I can. Debbie Weiss is uh, with us on the show for her book, and I love it. It's a memoir of her life, a transformational story of overcoming obstacles and living out your wildest dreams. Although my psychiatrist and the judge says I can't live out some of my wildest dreams, but that's for another episode. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, Debbie Weiss uh, has over 50 years of experience in dealing with some of life's toughest challenges. She is an expert in chasing her own dreams in spite of her circumstances. She is the best-selling author of the memoir on Second Thought, Maybe I Can, as well as an author in the Amazon bestseller collaborative book, Heart Whispers. In addition, she is an entrepreneur running both an insurance agency and her online store, Sprinkle of Hearts, and host of the Maybe I Can podcast. She's an inspirational speaker, family caregiver, and mother, which is probably, you know, the greatest job anyone could do in this world. Uh, Debbie has overcome her own limiting beliefs and fears, allowing her to begin to live her best life, and her life's passion is to help and inspire others to do the same. She's a best-selling author of the memoir. In her spare time, she uh, loves to laugh. 
dance, read, and stay active. And now she's going to be doing all that on the Chris Foss Show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Debbie, give us your uh, .coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Sure. It's DebbieRWeiss.com. The R, very important. Otherwise, you wind up on a realtor. <laughs> you got that competition going, huh? Oh, yeah. She's got that website probably, I guess, when URLs first started to be for sale. Yeah, I've had the same problem with two or three Chris Vosses. There's a few of us that are out there. Uh, so uh, give us a 30,000 overview of your book uh, that you just put out. Sure. So it's my memoir. It's a story about stopping, stopping using your circumstances to rule your life. So I had a victim mentality. I had a lot of limiting beliefs, felt like my life was really rough and it was unfair. And because of that, you know, it was what it was and there was nothing I could do about it. And then I had an epiphany and realized wrong. We all can do something. We can all be in control of the path of our lives, regardless of our circumstances. And so the last half of the book or the last third of the book, I should say, talks about that transformation that I'm still on and we're all still on that has been happening since my epiphany about 10 years ago. Wow. And, and you had this epiphany when you turned 50 and mm -hmm. you decided that that would change your life. Give us a lead up to that. What was, what was uh, your journey like through life? What were the paths you were taking and, and some of the different uh, obstacles you overcame? So I became a caregiver to my father when I was 17. Hmm. He had a massive stroke. He was only 45 and wow. he survived. Uh, my parents soon were divorced and my dad never lived with me, but luckily he, he did survive uh, for 30 years and hmm. I was his main person. So I hmm. was in charge of his money and his shopping and where he was going to live. And, you know, in my twenties, I learned all about private disability and Medicare and Medicaid and all of these things. And, you know, that's not what my friends were doing at 25 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You had to grow up fast very fast and and have that role reversal you know i think when we're in our 40s and 50s we expect to you know now all of a sudden we're more of the parent to our parents and they're the child but i lost my dad in that role at a very young age and had that switch and you know after that i i struggled with infertility i had you know a, a whole bunch of of things but when my oldest son was born. He was diagnosed on the autistic spectrum when he was two. Uh -huh. And then that led to, you know, uh, years of trying to figure that out. And mm -hmm. then more recently, uh, my husband who had suffered from mental illness, depression and anxiety, but it never affected his life. Later on in his life, it really started to have an effect. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was no longer able to work. He also had a lot wow. of physical issues. And so I kind of lost my partner um, and now had yet another person to take care of. Yeah. And um, after all of that, he was diagnosed out of the blue with a terminal blood cancer oh, diagnosis no. unrelated to his other issues mm -hmm. and unfortunately to almost 10 months ago he passed away it was six months after he was diagnosed i'm sorry to hear that uh, do, you, do you think that 
maybe this book and 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 stuff was um uh, born out of you know these experiences and 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 trying to get through them and overcome them and 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 find the positive side of of, of the coin in the end a absolutely because like i said for so long i didn't i was always a positive upbeat person so i don't want to make mm -hmm. it sound like i was a debbie downer no but i wasn't but mm -hmm. you know it was always oh poor debbie oh what's happening to debbie now you know i would compare myself to others and i felt like you know i got the raw end of the deal in my life of course you could always find a ton of other people who've had much much you know big mm -hmm. trauma and all of that but luckily i wasn't living in that world and comparing myself to the others around me you know mm -hmm. it just felt like i don't know why this is my lot in life just one thing after another but it is and i don't have a choice and you know i'm just going to ride it out and kind of let my life control me instead of me controlling my life yeah there you go yeah i mean you you've uh into every life or some rain must fall but you seem to have gotten some extra rain there um but it, it may have given you tools that maybe you've found that can more empower you and help empower others with what you do with your coaching to uh to handle it you know uh is that is that a true statement absolutely you know mm -hmm. i think most of us, when we look back on mm -hmm. the things that happened in our life, we realize the valuable lesson that they taught us and we wouldn't change a thing. Mm -hmm. And I can say that because as a child, I was extremely fearful. I was afraid of being judged. I always had a weight problem and that um, it dominated my life for a very long time, especially as a young girl in particular. And I didn't want to be seen because I didn't want to be judged. And so even though I was very outgoing to those that I knew, I was not in any other type of situation. And so when my dad got sick, it kind of forced me out of my comfort zone to learn to speak up because I wasn't speaking up on my behalf. I was speaking up for my dad and I wanted to make sure that I did whatever I could for him. And so that kind of was the beginning of giving me these tools. Mm -hmm. Certainly my book and my coaching, you know, is a culmination of everything that I've learned and everything that I've learned since I had that quote unquote epiphany around the age of 50. So what was the, what was the, what was the thing that made that trigger that, that uh, epiphany at 50? So my friends insisted that we go away for my birthday on a girl's trip, four mm -hmm. of us. And I didn't want to because I was afraid that my family would crumble without me even for two or three days. Mm -hmm. But I said, you know, okay. And the minute that we got to the airport and we met and we were laughing, I all of those fears that I had just dropped away. And I don't want to say that I couldn't care what was happening at home, but I really mm -hmm. couldn't care what was happening at home. And it was the first time <clears throat> in forever that I was the priority. You know, people yeah. were asking me, where do you want to go to dinner? What do you want to do today? You know, it's almost like I'm looking over my shoulder. Are they talking to me? <laughs> and one night while we were there, we we're having a discussion and something came up and I asked them, did I used to know, be known for my laugh? Cause I kind of have this really loud cackle that I won't let come out. <laughs> 
And they'll let it out. This is a no. funny show. <laughs> and please. they they looked at me like, "Are you kidding me?" Because I was. You know, my mother used to say, "I never lose you because I can always hear you laughing somewhere, you know, wherever you are." And I realized like I was serious. I couldn't remember if I was making that up or it was true. And I realized, you know what? I've lost myself. I've lost who I was as a person. Mm -hmm. I lost my laugh and yeah. I lost it all. And I think it was something about the age of 50 that mm. kind of was like, oh, is that really middle life? I hope to live to a hundred, but you know, let's just say that I'm on the downhill slide and that idea of more motive, mortality, the motivation kind of kicked in. Like, am I going to be laying there on my deathbed having regrets? Cause I saw that with my dad. Yeah. I don't want to be that person, but mm. if my time were up now, I would be because I don't regret and I didn't regret doing anything that I did for anybody else. But what I regretted was not also making myself a priority. Yes. Yes. You know, there's two things there that are really important that people should listen to and, and learn from. Number one is recognize that if you are a caregiver in some sort of way, and even if you're a, like, you know, moms are really bad at this where they give so much and they eat last. They, you know, they're, they're always taking care of everyone first. Um, and, uh, uh, but if you're a caregiver specifically, especially for someone in hospice or uh, someone who who um, needs a whole lot of attention and work, you, you have to take care of yourself first or you can't share yourself or help other people. Uh, you have to get your sleep. You have to get your you have to get your health straight. Uh, you have to eat right. Um, it's so emotionally draining to be a caregiver. It's so physically draining usually to be a caregiver as well. Um, and a lot of people or caregivers don't realize they really need a lot of help. You know, I spent a year and a half in hospice care with my dog. Uh, it was psychologically destructive. Um, it was damaging. It was, it was hard on me. I should have sought better help. I should have been seeing a therapist at the time. Watching cancer grow on something you love is a whole different experience than just knowing someone has cancer. Uh, and uh, I see it in uh, other people, like my mother who takes care of my sister and, and, who has MS. She's seven years younger than me, and she's in a and she's in a home with people that are much older. Um, and you, you look at it and you go, "Why is this young person here? She's the only one of her age that's in that home." Um, but being a caregiver is draining. It it is the hard. It is the some of the hardest things I've ever seen or ever done in my life. It's rewarding. Um, and you feel good, but there's so many aspects of it that people forget about. And then I think it, the other second point is at 50, I think you kind of realize you're either halfway through the football game, if you don't mind the sports analogy or all. game, if, if you would call it anything, you're halfway through the bachelor rounds. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you realize that, you know, you, the, the, maybe the second half is shorter than the first half and that you're running out of time. And, and I think also at 50, you kind of look back because I had the same sort of epiphanies around 50. You kind of, you, you have, you reach a point where you can go, all right, let's look back at what, what do we do? And you start to see the patterns. You start to see, you know, oh, wow. Okay. That childhood trauma there. Uh, I've been dragging that through the, through the, the treatise for, um, 50 years. And I can see the whole pathway of 
dragging the anvil through uh, everything. And uh, maybe I should dump that thing. Um, and so I, I think those are those are two things people really need to recognize from the story you tell. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And let, let me just interject. Uh, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. You can talk about football anytime you want. Okay. <laughs> go, go Jets. The Go if Jets. Could, if we could bring back, if we could bring back, uh, oh, who is the great Jet in the uh, uh, co uh, uh, quarterback in the 70s? Oh, Joe Namath. Joe Namath. I, yeah. I, grew, I grew up in the 70s, and I've always been a Raiders fan, but the, he was so freaking epic. <laughs> he was just, just <laughs> such a great. Uh, I mean, just on, on and off the field. What a guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think he was probably one of those like first big football personalities, oh, yeah. right? That yeah. overtook with his commercials and stuff. Oh, yeah. It wasn't the fur so... coats, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was just so over the top. He was, he was just, it was a great era of football. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, people need to um, understand that the self care is so important, you know, and that principle of, you can't give to other people. You can't help other people unless you take care of yourself first. And you need timeouts too if you're doing self care. And how was your how was your relationship with your mother? How supportive was your mother, if you don't mind me asking, in you ending up being the caregiver for your father? So my mother was supportive in the sense that you know initially she found the first place that my dad lived. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, she was supportive in the sense of like on holidays, if I didn't, if I wasn't with him, he would be left in, you know, actually similar to your sister. He was living in those kinds of facilities mm -hmm. in his late 40s and everybody else was in their 80s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so she was very supportive in that regard. Um, but, you know, I think, I don't know. I mean, let's just say she was supportive, but she didn't really have much intervention with what was going on. Certainly mm -hmm. if I had a question or whatnot, yeah. of course she was always there. And I, I just bring that up to frame it that, you know, here you are, you're a young woman uh, and young women, especially in their twenties, early twenties, they go through whole different changes to who they are year by year. Um, and you're in a role where, Normally, you know, you look to a parent to be that that protector, that provider, that caregiver, that overseer, um, that that kind of bulwark to build your life off of. And here you're thrust into, and this happens with a lot of young people that end up being, you know, having to grow up early or being a parent early, is they kind of lose that portion of their childhood. They kind of lose that building of themselves and then and understanding themselves and, and care for themselves as well. And um, and so it's, it's a tough position to be in because you're not always emotionally equipped at that age to deal with all this sort of stuff. You know, you're, you're still trying to figure out your own world. Exactly. Yeah. You know, my dad, um, met a woman when he was living at that first place and he, I knew that the woman was just trouble. Hmm. She thought my father had money. He had no money. Wow. My father winds up marrying the woman, moving out of the place that my mother had to like, you know, back then, you know, this is like mid eighties, the, the kind of facilities that are available now, they weren't around back then. So it was very difficult, especially because we, my dad was living on Medicare and, mm -hmm. you know, very small disability insurance. And the woman started, uh, verbally abusing my dad. Yeah. Wow. And, 
at when I was around 25, I had to steal him and take him (laughs) to, I don't want to say an undisclosed location to her. I had to find Mm. a place for him to live and set up this whole thing this yeah. kidnapping, so to speak. But then the big thing was here I was trying to figure out to learn to get him divorced. Wow. And I didn't even have a boyfriend. And <laughs> I was learning how to get divorced at 25. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's a crazy story. And, it was and, crazy. And, yeah. And, and you're just, you're a young person going, why is this my thing? But, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, that's a hell of a challenge. Uh, we see that in the care centers where people try and prey on each other in the care centers, um, sexually or financially, they'll try and figure out someone that has money and, and, uh, it's, it's a scary, interesting dynamic in there. And when you have a sister or someone who has dementia and everyone's got dementia, um, you, you know, it's just the, some of the stuff that goes on there. I mean, she's been through five or six homes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and uh, elder abuse, which it sounds like what your dad was going through there, uh, patient abuse. I mean, all this stuff is prevalent in some of these different care situations. And you're just trying to care for somebody and do the thing. So, um, so with your epiphany that you have at 50, how do you start, how do you start taking back you how do you start re-identifying you and taking care of you to where you 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 you, how do you go down that journey of like putting yourself back together basically so when i returned from the trip i don't think it was you know i come home and say oh now i've seen the light and here's you know how i'm gonna set out on my path if only it was that easy right yeah right exactly But looking back, I can see what happened. And then the first thing that I decided that I was going to tackle was my weight because I have had a lifelong weight issue. And at that point, I was probably 100 pounds overweight. Hmm. And so what I did was for the millionth time, I went back to Weight Watchers, which, you know, I've tried all diets, just like many of us. And for whatever reason, that's what had worked for me in the past. But this time I changed my mindset because I used to always go and say, okay, I have to lose 25 pounds in three months or by the summer or by this wedding I'm going to attend. And (laughs) if I don't, I'm out. And I could see how well that served me at a hundred pounds to lose. So instead, this time I said, the only goal that I have is attending a meeting every week. That's it. Nothing else, nothing about my food, nothing about how much weight I lose. I am just going to show up. And that's what I did. I really didn't lose much weight. But once I got that down, you know, then I added the next layer. Okay, 50% of the time, I'm going to track my food or whatever it was and just slowly building. And I'd watch other people. They're like, you know, it was hard because I go to these meetings. They're like, I lost 30 pounds in four months. And I'm like, well, I lost three in six months. (laughs) (laughs) I describe myself as a turtle, although I can get up off my back, but I was, you know, slow and steady wins the race kind of thing and And it's a and and you you know an important aspect of this is people have to realize it's a process not only are you learning about yourself you're learning about this thing 
you're, you know, it's a mastery of skill and it's, it's time. And some people can do stuff quicker that, or, you know, I don't know, there's always cocaine. That's always good for losing weight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe those other people are on cocaine. We'll just throw it to that. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Don't do cocaine people for losing <laughs> weight. Please don't start a cold over the podcast, uh, jokes. Um, so, uh, but you know, everyone's different too. They have different metabolisms. You have different DNA. You know, it, it seems like a, a lot of this does come down to DNA. Uh, but, and you know, you have different things where people have different insulin, um, resistance and stuff depend upon how you've lived your life so you know really the the thing that people should judge themselves by is by themselves and the way that they're going through things and whether they were there you know and just the fact you're making progress like, like i like what you said i i focused on just showing up and for a lot of things going to the gym losing weight just about any sort of thing you want to achieve in life becoming an entrepreneur just showing up is usually half the battle because most people don't do that Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was Weight Watchers didn't change their program, right? I mean, yeah, they do little tweaks every couple of years. What was different was just the way I thought about it. It was just a, a mindset, mindset yeah. shift, which, you know, I say just, it ain't that easy to do. <laughs> and it's a constant work in progress. But when I saw, oh, wait a minute. I did realize I'm not coming off this. Mm. Like I'm, I have to commit. This is for life. This doesn't mm. mean I can't eat pizza again. This doesn't, you know, I had to understand that all those people that I would look at and say, oh, poor me, another example of how I had a, a victim mentality. Mm. I would see someone eating a certain way and I'd see, oh, look at them. They can eat that. And if I look at that, I'm going to gain weight. Well, I don't know what they're eating the other, you know, however many meals it is a week, the other 20 meals a week, right? Mm -hmm. This could like be, you know, they're 20%, they're indulgent time. But I yeah. was thinking, you know, no, that wasn't the case. And so um, over the past 10 years, it's just kind of been learning how yeah. to you know, um, think differently about it and, and not mm -hmm. having that perfectionist mindset mm -hmm. or, and that I'm on the diet, I'm off the diet. Nope. That's why, you know, my kids used to laugh at me when they would say something about my diet and I'd say, I'm not on a diet. This is my lifestyle. There you go. And uh, they that's... still laugh. Mom, <laughs> is that well, cookie fit on your lifestyle? Oh. Yes, it does. Thank you so very much for pointing that out. Well, at least you have some accountability uh, crew yeah. there. Uh, it's always good to have the accountability people to give you shit, keep you in line, keep you a little bit honest, let you know they're watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, I've used accountability groups to help me write books, uh, help me uh, stay on my diet, help me go to the gym. You know, sometimes I'll just post on Facebook that hey, I'm at the gym today, and so that people are like, yeah, he's at the gym, and and uh and and sometimes it helps inspire others there's an aspect to that too but you you bring up a good point you know the hardest thing for me to learn and i and i really had the hardest time with it was people that would always say to me it's chris it's not you know because i had that perfectionist thing you mentioned they they'd say chris it's not about the journey or it's not about the uh it's not about the end goal it's about the journey and uh, you know, and I was a results-oriented person. I'm like, I want it now, and I want it done now, and I want to do it now, and I want to achieve it now. 
And it used to make me mental when people say that. I almost want to physically <laughs> do something to them. Like, hey, Christian, you calm down. It's, it's not about the end. Uh, it's about the journey, man. And it took me a hard, probably most of my life, to get through what that message meant. And and what you guys are in, you understand now, um, that, it, you know, it just isn't going to happen overnight. You've got to, it's the journey. You've got to develop yourself and grow through it and, you know, build that thing. And it is a lifestyle, you know. Uh, they're, they're, you, you bring up some good points that people, you know, they do a diet. They're like, well, I'm going to do a diet for a few weeks and lose some weight. And then I'm going to go back to eating McDonald's and going to buffets. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that. You know, your metabolism slows over the course of a lifetime. It doesn't improve. It slows. And, uh, you know, it just, it just gets worse. So you've, you've just got to get better. <laughs> you just got to meet it in the middle somehow or beat it. But even then, you know, I think we get smarter at taking care of our bodies. And then we also learn that, you know, you can't do all the stuff you used to do when you were young and you used to produce all that collagen and, you know, all the different things that keep you alive with the, uh, you know, advanced cell growth. And so you've got to start taking better care of the ship you're on because it's, <laughs> It's the only one. You it's get. the only one you got. Yep. There that's you go. For sure. Uh, so now let's talk about what you do with coaching. Uh, do you mostly work with women, and uh, what sort of advice do you give them and help uh, for coaching and tools? So yes, I do mostly work with women. I nothing against men. I love men. <laughs> I live in a family of men. Uh -huh. um, I have two sons, and of course, I had my husband, and I even have a dog that's a male. Why I didn't get a female dog, at least so I wasn't in the minority, I don't know. But so, yes, I do work with women, and I help them. You know, we each have to discover. I didn't even understand what the term limiting beliefs was, oh. you know, until I entered this world, you know, I, my target are really women who are just learning what personal development is. Like, I just thought that that was a bunch of mumbo jumbo that no people, you know, only a certain type of person paid attention to hmm. not really realizing how life changing it is to learn some of these skills. Hmm. And I think what we do have to understand is that we are all born with these limiting beliefs and we need to kind of explore them and understand them and, and figure out a way to flip that switch on those beliefs. And then to discover, you know, I didn't even know, okay, well, what do I want to be, do, have when I grow up, you know, when I'm 50 something and I had no idea, you know, you're, we're always evolving. Mm -hmm. And so we're different people. Although I have to say that as a child, I always wanted to be a teacher. And my mother was a teacher and she was not meant to be a teacher. But, <laughs> <laughs> and she soon discovered that and became something else. There you go. However, she said to me, you're the first generation of women who can go to college and be whatever you want to be. You don't have to be a teacher or a nurse. Not that there's anything wrong with being a teacher or a nurse, but those were really the only choices for women, you know, back in the 50s and 60s when my mom went to school. And so she kind of pushed me away from the teacher deal and I became an accountant and then an insurance agent. And 
Now I find myself, what do I want to do? What's coaching? It's teaching. Mm. And so it's interesting to me that, you know what, what I felt as a little girl really mm. was what my passion and my purpose is. Maybe I'm not a classroom teacher, mm. but now, you know, I get to teach other women, you know, how to find their passion and their potential and, and really figure out what is the life that you want. And the accountability piece that you spoke of to me, I don't know if I could have accomplished anything that I have without having somebody hold me accountable. And it's just, there's something different. There's something different. Just like you said, even if it's posting in a Facebook group or on your Facebook page, saying it out loud. I remember when I, I don't want to even say this cause I'll get booed, but I was a smoker back in the day. You know, it wasn't like it is now. And I loved it. Yeah. But I didn't want to quit. <laughs> Everybody else, it was like, oh, and now it would had become, you know, like, oh, this is really no good for you. Mm -hmm. And I was about 27 and I got really sick with mono, very sick. Mm. And I was still smoking. And one day I'm sitting there by myself and I'm like, I can't even like breathe. What am I doing here? <laughs> I'm going to just put it down and, you know, for two hours or whatever it was. And I actually didn't smoke for six days. Wow. But I said, I didn't tell anyone because if I told someone, now I was going to be accountable. Now mm. they were going to expect me to quit the minute I put it out there. So I didn't until I made the decision, I'm going to do it. And then I shared it. Oh, wow. You know, there's some people that <clears throat> tell people what they do. And there's some psychology that, that when people tell others what they do, they, their brain thinks they've completed it. It's kind of weird. I read some sort of paper on that one time. It was kind of interesting. So when you help women, what do you find most women are coming to you with their problems for that, that they're seeking you out and you, you know, you're usually coaching and helping them with. They don't, they need to rediscover who they are other than being two, two different types. I would say other than being the mother, the caregiver, you know, a, a woman who's midlife, and has spent most of her adult life worried about everybody else and not realizing or feeling like she deserved time to herself or, or had the excuse that she couldn't because she was so busy helping everybody else and helping her discover that, no, there is time. Mm. Um, the other audience that I have tapped into that I have to be honest is kind of unexpected mm. is young women. You know, um, young women who are just trying to figure it out and mm -hmm. figure out their path in life. And I love that now younger women are more attuned to that instead of doing what society or their family or whoever else, the other people in their lives feel that is expected of them. Mm -hmm. They kind of, you know, want to figure out, no. What is it? What is it that I want? And, and how do I establish goals and set the course? 
There you go. Uh, yeah, it's it's a hard uh, journey today uh, for people in the world, especially the young people, the Gen Zers. There, you know, it's a it's tumultuous time. I suppose I don't know what's the old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. I think we're all kind of born into uh, tumultuous times and and tough times. But I don't know ec- economically wise, and uh, you know, tr- everyone's still waiting for trickle down economic checks um, from the eighties. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on in our economy, but then there's a lot of grand opportunity too to take from it. You know, I look at, uh, I talk to my young nephew and, and there's so many great opportunities he has and the, the amount of information that he has, um, in recognizing stuff. You know, I, I talk to him about collecting stories and, and, uh, and, uh, watching through life. And I talk to him about, you know, doing what they call the T sort of aspect of business where go learn something really well and master it and become really good at it and then go teach others how to do it. Um, and that seems to be a model a lot of people do now with coaching and everything else. Um, and I remember talking to him about it the other week and he goes, so I can write a book like you, right? I can collect stories and write a book like you. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> And <laughs> <laughs> he's he's like twenty three, and he's he's got he's got more he's got more information and more data than he knows. He probably has just encyclopedia knowledge about so much stuff. I mean that you can access the internet that we never had. You know, me, I was just trying to listening to Party Line to see what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you only connect to the world. Oh, that's so funny! Three, yeah, what three channels, and then one that had black and white Godzilla on it. That's yep, exactly. How our world was. Yep. Um. So yeah, we didn't. Uh, we, it was smoke signals were our internet or something. I don't know. That's um, right. Antennas on the TV. Yeah, but even then, it's so overwhelming because at least for us, we could be you know we could slowly take in the world because it wasn't you know it wasn't so much coming at you. You know, uh, you can go you get on the internet and it's just. It's an open express lane to just about everything that can come at you. And just like, holy shit, this is a lot of stuff here. Um, And so I can see how overwhelming it is uh, for people their age. And hopefully they're a little bit more equipped for it. But yeah, trying to figure out who they are, who they want to be. There's so much confusion now between who men and women are, what they are, where they're going, what their roles are. And I imagine young women have a lot of issues with that and there's there's all sorts of great examples of how to be good people in the world and bad people in the world and what does it mean and sometimes it seems like all the bad evil people win you know we see that on news and politics and other thing and you're like see jesus is is anybody a good person anymore and so you're trying to balance you know who do i want to be and how do i want to be and am i doing it right and is there right and it's just a really confusing time which it's already confusing when you're young. Oh gosh. And and really, you know, I think what's missing and and hopefully I think it's becoming more prevalent is coming up with those soft skills or those exercises that help you mm. really tap into who you are, what you want to do. You know, I my youngest son is actually a junior in college. Mm. And you know, he is <laughs> He's got his eye on a prize that I don't really think. I think he's trying to fit himself into a mold that he feels, not me, is Mm. expected of him or that will serve him best, maybe financially moving forward instead of, you know, and I keep urging him is, you know, let's really figure out what do you want? And he just feels, I don't know what I want, or this is what I want, or leave me alone with that kind of stuff, you know? 
Um, so I feel like saying, no, no, you're not going to be a good example for me if I'm supposed to be, a, you know, a, a coach that helping transform people and you're going to go out and do something that, uh, I don't know if it feeds your soul, but I guess we'll see. Cause you know what? I've kind of resigned myself. That's how you learn. You can't tell anyone what yeah. to do, right? He has to experience for himself. And maybe, maybe that is, you know, his direction is, is the right path for him. There you Although go. Although mommies do you, mothers, you do know best. Uh, well, I mean, let's not push it. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, the, the one thing that are great about mothers is they love you and they usually love you unconditionally. Most people, if you're lucky and you got a mother that puts up with your stupid stuff, um, you know, God bless mothers. Um, but I don't know about mothers knowing best. Uh, my mom's, my mom's a great a mother and I love her. Um, but, uh, sometimes I, I might know a little bit better, but, uh, I guess. Uh, you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll give them, uh, well, let's say 75% times. That's okay. like a fair. All right. That's fair. I'll give you that. <laughs> mother wants what's best for you. 100% of the that time. That is true. That is okay. There you go. That's um, true. But, you know, it sounds like, you know, his 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 thing is just like your thing. And like what we talked about with the journey, it's all about the journey and not the destination. You know, that's why I, I, I told my niece and nephew when they were graduating in life in their high school, in their school. And, you know, I've talked about this before on the show, so it's a callback. But, um, you know, look around, enjoy the journey, but collect stories. I mean, that's what we do on the Chris Foss show. We're story collectors because stories are the owner's manual to life it, it's it's how we learn about life it's we learn from each other each other's mistakes each other's struggle and and our journeys and 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 it's interesting how much we learn this is why we write books this is why people read books this is why people watch movies they watch tv everything is story collecting and that's what we're doing we're trying to figure out life and square things and learn things um <clears throat> Sometimes through just entertainment, uh, you know, you may see something as entertainment, but you might learn something from it, but everyone's on that journey. And yeah, I guess you're, you know, your son's on his journey, discover himself and figure stuff out. And, you know, it's interesting to me throughout my life uh, on how many adventures I've gone on and how many, you know, I'll, I'll be like, Hey, for five years, I want to be a cameraman. I want to be a photographer professionally or maybe professionally. I don't know. Let's see how this works out. You know, you spend a bunch of money, you toy around, you go learn something and, Sometimes it doesn't work out, but the lessons you learn from that journey are the most important things that you can take to other things. Um, and that's why that journey statement is so important of people saying it's about the journey, not about the end goal. Because the things you learn on the journey are some of the most important aspects that change your life. You know, I remember Steve Jobs gave that commencement address um, where he talked about how he hated college. He flunked out of college. He ditched out of college basically. Um, but he loved going to, um, his course on, what was it like fonts and, uh, calligraphy and, and writing and stuff like that and how fonts were used and presented to stuff. And he, he was fascinated by that and he was still his way back into college just to take those classes. Well, one of the major proponents of selling aspects of the early Apple was the fact that you could do, you know, you could, you could do, you could go from typewriters to doing text scripts on the Apple thing. It was a huge selling point. And the fonts and being able to have those different ways of designing uh, marketing or books or whatever you wanted to write was a huge seller for it. And who would have known, you know, he didn't know at the time that that was going to be something that was going to be his thing. Uh, I never knew that all my stupid stories through life would make a book or future books that I'm currently working on right now. Um, 
And so it's all about that journey. So I think that's a really important aspect to people, what they can learn and especially helping people through their life and what they want to accomplish with your, with your coaching. Absolutely. And I can say the same thing when I wrote my memoir, mm -hmm. I thought, is it, is just putting these stories because in the end, what it wound up to be is a collection of 30 plus stories mm. that, you know, tell an overall story. And mm -hmm. I felt like, does it need more? You know, does it need to have an explanation at the end of each story? And in the end, I decided no, because the stories stand on their own and it's there for you to take what you need from each of the stories. So, And, it, and it's interesting what people learn from. Like they just, you'll have somebody like, Hey, I really like this story. And you're just like, seriously, that one, like yeah. all the, all the ones that are in there, that was the best one, but it, it, it's what identifies with them. You know, it's kind of like when you write, when artists write music and lyrics and stuff and people, you know, interpret them all different sorts of ways, but they, it's, it's applicable to them and it helps them. You know, I, I've heard some people, you know, say things about a song or a story or a, a lyric and they're just like yeah that's about this and you're like that's not really what it's about if you google it on wikipedia but thanks for playing um but that's not what's important right no, it's, it's important about how I interpret them you know i've shared stuff about um things that uh you know all of my different journey on facebook and social media and uh a lot of people you know it's it's you know i've had people say wow i didn't you know you sharing the closure with the death of your dogs or a parent uh, made me realize I didn't, I didn't get closure with my parent or a dog or cat or a pet. Um, and now I've helped me cross, you know, these are the ways that these stories are important. So I'm looking at your website. There are several different offerings you have as well as coaching. You've got some, a free PDF that can help with self-care on all the different aspects of self-care on life. Um, you can, uh, there's the, uh, inner or unlock your inner power, a guide to embracing your true self as well. Uh, tell us how people can onboard with you, uh, find out, you know, if they're a good fit, reach out to you and, uh, get involved with what you're doing with coaching. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, so my website is the best place, debbierweiss.com. On there, there's a wait list for my coaching program that uh, will be launching the end of November, beginning of December, and will be starting in January to get ready for a wonderful 2024. Uh, all of the downloads that you mentioned, as well as there's a couple of free chapters of my book that are on there as well. You can, you can find everything on my website. And then there's contact information, or you can email me at Debbie at Debbie .com, or DM me on Instagram. And there it is Debbie.r.weiss. There you go. Uh, well, Debbie, it's been fun to have you on. Very wonderful and great story. Thanks for sharing your touching stories. And, and I think uh, giving people a lot of inspiration, you know, uh, uh, more moms, moms are such giving people. They give to everybody first, but they, you know, they need to take care of themselves. They need to feed themselves. They need to make sure not, not only feed themselves, you know, not being the last to eat, but, you know, feed their soul, feed their uh, ambitions, you know, take care of themselves first. You need time out. I mean, if you're, the one advice I would give too to people is if you're a caregiver, you need time out for yourself. I think that's what you identified when you went away on your girls trip is you need to take some time to refill your basket, your mental, physical, spiritual health basket and, and go do things for yourself. I've learned uh, I have to do that with even my work and what I do. There has to be time that I go take, I go take downtime or peace time or time to decompress. 
and uh, and kind of reward myself and fulfill myself a little bit so I can come back refreshed and be like, okay, pat on the back. This is why we do this. Absolutely. And you know, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like about 25% of caregivers wind mm-hmm. up having health problems yeah. because they're not paying attention to themselves. And then what happens? You can't even be the caregiver that you want it to be. So people think that self-care is selfish, but it really is just the opposite. It's really mm-hmm. essential for you and for your loved ones. It can grind you down. And yep. so uh, take care of yourself first, and then you can share yourself with others and build other people up. But unless you have that foundation, it's hard to build on that. Uh, thanks you very much for coming on, Debbie. We really appreciate it. Thanks to my audience for tuning in. Uh, go to goodreads.com, Fortune's Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortune's Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortune's Chris Foss, and Chris Foss One on the tickety talkity over there. Order up Debbie's book uh, on second thought. Maybe I can just come out and published on August 7th, 2023. Uh, thanks for, for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.